What is the future of organics? And what does that future look like for blueberries? Is this market going to grow? And will it be profitable? It's an industry that's grown from roughly $14 billion in total sales in 2005 up to this last year in 2021's forecast to be about $63 billion. That's been a rate at a 10% compounded growth annually for the last 15 years. No other industry other than actually probably blueberries has seen that kind of growth over that time period. And even as we look forward for the next five to 10 years, we're still projecting a 9% year over year growth in the organic industry. Today, I sit down with a well-known industry expert to discuss his thoughts on how the national organic standard is changing and what that means for the future of organics and for farming organic blueberries. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, it's no secret that organic blueberries have been a fast-growing segment of our market for many years now. But will this continue? And what are the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead for organics? That's what we're going to be talking about today with our guest, Tom Avanellis. Many of you know Tom, and you'll recall the episode we did with him back on the show, episode nine, I believe. Uh, he's the founder and managing partner of Agriculture Capital, an investment fund that invests in permanent cropland and midstream assets to create customer-driven, appropriately scaled, vertically integrated, regenerative farming enterprises to grow, pack, and market high-value produce. He has a long history and a stellar reputation in this industry and is one of the foremost experts on sustainable organic agriculture at scale here in the United States. So, Tom, welcome back to the business of blueberries. Casey, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you. And it's a pleasure to have joined you recently at uh, the show in Las Vegas, Seattle. It was uh, a tremendous event. And I was highly impressed by the sponsorship and support they gave the blueberry industry. Very, very encouraging and great to see us get out there on, on larger and larger platforms all the time. Well, and Seattle, I have never been to the one that is there in Paris. But, uh, you know, seeing that this was the inaugural event and just it's size and what potential scale it will represent. I didn't realize, Tom, that part of what we benefited from was Seattle's decision to select the blueberry as their icon for Seattle America. And so not only did we have our sponsorship activated there, but you know, as you saw, everywhere you turned, there was a blueberry. They had the blueberries in the back of every backdrop in the entire facility. So I was, that was pretty impressive. I don't know how you got that kind of play, Casey. That was great. <laughs> well, again, part of what I thought would be good was bringing you onto the show because part of what we had the opportunity to is invite you because they had a subject matter that was the future of organics and uh, asked if we had a grower who could come represent that perspective. And so you took the stage there at the conference and spoke to this issue. And I think what you shared is something that I thought, you know, needed to be heard also from the rest of the industry. I know Alexis had a lot to say from her perspective as well, just talking about 
what's happening politically in the area of organics, what's happening market-wise in the area of organics. And so I, I wanted to kind of bring that conversation to our audience here on the podcast and for our industry to kind of hear from you what's changing right now with the organic standards and how you see that future of organics being shared with our with our audience. So, but before we jump into all that, I think it'd be important just to kick off things with just the audience hearing your experience, your journey into organic blueberries. What made you compelled and interested in driving the organic market in the first place? So we could just start there. Well, it's certainly interesting. And it's a great opportunity to share the stage with Alexis Carey from Organic Trade Association. And they've been tremendous in helping support the organic industry. And as I had joked with her and really began the beginning of our presentation, because a, a lot of what we'd looked at was in its infancy in 2005 through 2020. And um, it evolved really with a philosophy of small farmers initially on how can we really create a philosophy of stewardship, of regenerative farming, of nurturing the land. And as you would get together most of these growers, it was really from a standpoint of we want to do what's best for the land and growing crops and healthy crops for the long term. And moving away from what commercial agriculture had created of more of a, um, a utilization of practices that really relied heavily on chemicals rather than on a balance of working within a natural environment to produce healthy, clean, wholesome food. And it was part of my education originally. It's but my passion's been as an agronomist for many, many years, realizing how we could go and build on that. And so as that philosophy grew, the challenge became, how do you grow and get that information to the consumer? Because uh, when we first started in early, early 2000s, right around 2000, the addition in another 10 or 15 acres is almost panic with his like, oh my gosh, where are we going to sell this? And the reality is many of the pioneers in the industry in table grapes or, or citrus or other items like that, even though they were farming all of their product organically, only 15 or 20% was going in the organic marketplace. So for us to see the kind of growth we've seen in the organic industry over the last 15 years has been phenomenal because it's an industry that's grown from roughly $14 billion in total sales in 2005 up to this last year in 2021's forecast to be about $63 billion. That, that's been a rate at a a CAGR or a 10% compounded growth annually for the last 15 years. No other industry other than actually probably blueberries has seen that kind of growth over that time period. And even as we look forward for the next five to 10 years, we're still projecting a 9% year-over-year growth in the organic industry. The, the consumers are demanding it. And we in agriculture are continuing to respond for the, the desires for organics and what they mean. And uh, it's certainly a deviation from where a lot of the pioneers first started within this industry, which is exciting to see that taking place. And it's moving to where it becomes not just small parcel practices, but into really farming philosophies that you can put at scale, but do in a way that really meets requirements we're seeking to continue to build on in the industry. Yeah, it is remarkable. And yet, you know, you contrast where that growth has fit inside of the whole and if I recall the presentation, you know, organics still represent less than 1% of total agriculture here in the United States, correct? Yeah. If we look at the total acreage that's currently organically certified, it's less than 1% of the acreage as a whole. That is surprising from that standpoint that it's not more when we look at the total picture. But organic is, from a farming standpoint, is extremely difficult and requires far more agronomic attention to detail management of 
understanding the balance of nature and being proactive about what you're doing. And it also has very restricted areas that can be extremely successful at because of weather and climate conditions. So what keeps you committed in that space? You know, let's talk specifically for blueberries. As you have gone through those challenges and difficulties, obviously mistakes, lessons learned that you could share, but then the continuation of that increasing investment in your portfolio on being organic, you know, homegrown organics being, you know, one of the companies that you're a part of. What's the motivation there? Because I think what you're saying is this has moved from the small farmer and the those things that people will tend to generalize in what this was intending to start out at and maybe maintain, but it's not that way anymore. You're seeing a tremendous amount of capital investment going into the future of organics. So if you could just share maybe a little bit about, you know, the trial and error that it's been, but why you're maintaining the commitment over time. Well, I think as a whole, all of agriculture, which is exciting to me, because I think when one of the reasons is we looked at the beginning, the growth of scale in organic was how we built a vision of really building long-term regenerative programs of stewardship of the land itself, that we actually would make it healthier and better for future generations. I see that expanding, not just within organic, but in all of ag. And I, I think that's part of what the passion was and, and why we began to do this originally was there really needed to be a better way so that we are leaving land better for future generations. And this is filled with challenges, you know, uh, especially in the West Coast uh, with climate conditions getting warmer and drought conditions getting more severe. How we balance that, how we keep healthier soils going forward and how we put these principles in place that we really look at the integration of what the environment is around the decisions that we make. Uh, that's really what's driven the passion for where we at, we've come from and why we farm organically. And it is difficult, but it's evolved from a philosophy to really our implementation of sound agronomic science behind how we're building these systems out. And a lot of that has been, I guess, what you can call tribal knowledge, because a lot of it's been learned internally and built on internally. But we are seeing more and more outside research uh, in these areas, which is encouraging. But there become limitations uh, from it. Uh, you know, one of the challenges is within conventional practices with all the tools that are available, there aren't very many either environmental or insect or disease things that can pop up that you don't have a tool to be able to effectively address. In organics, that's a different situation. There are diseases that you don't have real good programs for that will make major yield impacts and certainly add challenges to what we do. So it certainly is an industry that I think has lots of future growth opportunity, but from a farm standpoint, will continue to be a challenge for us, how we remain competitive in a very competitive food space. Well, I want to unpack some of this with you and want to talk specifically about the organic market and where it's turning to in the future. But before we do, let's take a quick break for our crop report. The North American season is well underway. And as we inch closer to the summer and our peak season, we're welcoming more and more of our regions onto the report. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Todd Sanders in California, followed by Eric Staffney in Mississippi, then Ken Patterson in Florida, and Brandon Wade in Georgia. This was recorded on April 13th, 2022. So California, uh, we're still on track to be on time with our normal season. So 
Nothing really changed there. The recent cold weather snap that we've experienced over the last couple of days, I don't think should have any huge effect on the industry, but I'll know more here in the next week or so if that took any effect. We're still really early in the season. We do have the organic fruit coming off the coast and then some southern part of the state coming off now. But again, we still should be on track. We'll hit our probably around 75 million pounds. That's what we're estimating still. But again, as the season progresses, that number will and could change. Uh, It looks like it's going to be a good season. We should be good to go. We've had three weeks in a row of heavy thunderstorms, tornadic activity, which have really affected some of the growers. And um, but the big event was that freeze we had in, in March. And that really wiped out a lot of our southern highbush crop. The southern highbush only makes up a small portion of what we grow in Mississippi, but it probably reduced it by 80%. And so now we're left mainly with our rabbit eye. And for the most part, it it still looks pretty good. Rabbit eye crop does at this point. There is some reduction from the bad weather, from the freeze to the very early varieties. But overall, I think the crop looks pretty good. Now we're running about two weeks later than we have in the last few years, which is probably going to impact our market some. There have been growers who are looking at disaster relief due to the freeze and uh, some of the high winds and rainfall that we've had so far. So at this point, that's what the crop looks like. Uh, We're expecting more severe weather and several inches of rain coming up starting tonight. So we'll see how that works out. But uh, overall, things are going forward and we're looking for a decent rabbit eye crop, hopefully. This is Ken Patterson, and here is the crop report from Florida. Harvest continues in Florida with the southern regions half to two-thirds through their crop. The central region is about halfway through their peak right now, and they expect a couple more weeks of uh, heavy volume. The north region is anywhere from 20 to 40 percent in their crop. The weather has not been our friend, as each cold front that pushes through delays our harvest by about two or three more days. On top of that, there have been numerous reports of high winds, heavy rain, and hail damage, anywhere from very light to uh, heavy, scattered all throughout our growing regions. Barring hail damage, quality has been very good, and labor does not seem to be an issue anywhere. The bird pressure is high in almost all the regions. As of April 10th, the USDA is reporting 12.8 million pounds that have been shipped out of the state. And that's Florida's crop report for this week. Brandon Wade from Alma, Georgia, president of the Georgia Berry Exchange and owner slash operations manager of Alma Berry Farms. This week, the crop is still shaping up well. We're getting a lot more blue fruit. Uh, Many of us have already made a first pick on some varieties, particularly Georgia Dawn. But this week, we made a first pick on Farthing and some Susie Blue. So we're really moving ahead pretty quick. Uh, Some quality has been very good with minimal frost damage. Uh, Some other fruit, some other varieties, depending on the location and all, have more prominent frost damage or that brown scarring on the fruit, as well as bird damage. There has been a heavy bird presence down here in the southeast. 
as opposed to uh, a normal presence of birds. <clears throat> and that's really negatively affecting a lot of our larger size fruits. Not quite as bad on the small fruit. It seems like they have a tendency to fly away with the small fruit, but peck at the larger fruit. Uh, with all that being said, I expect that leading into uh, next week or you know, past April 20th, that we should really start seeing a lot more of the volume come in through the southeast of Georgia. So everything's moving forward, and we'll catch you next week with another update. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've added a lot more features to this dashboard, including USDA shipping price and movement, the retail category performance, Nielsen monthly sales report, and much, much more. So make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check all that out. So Tom, before we hit the break there, we were talking a little bit about the pressure of growing for organic, but I do want to talk about you know this consumer demand as you described it, and what are these different drivers you're seeing just in consumer land? So kind of stepping back to kind of usage and attitudes and where people are and why organics continue to grow and where that demand might take things based on what you're seeing in your research. So I thought I'd just ask from your perspective, whether it's blueberries or organic generally as a certification, uh, what are those drivers that are, are making these decisions by consumers? Yeah, let me, let me talk just briefly as the industry as a whole, which is interesting because when we look at the organic growth in the industry, 70% of it is in fresh fruits and vegetables. And certainly it's because of how the consumer sees this as an opportunity. The largest single category is at packaged salad mixes, which I think we would anticipate. It's a $1.5 billion industry today, uh, and it's growing at about 3.2% year over year. So it's actually slowed in its growth. The second most rapidly growing industry uh, really is the berry category as a whole organically. It's a $1.4 billion industry, but it's continuing to grow at 13.9% year over year. And the next one follow is apples. And then the rest of the crops follow back behind that. But it's very clear that it's being led by fresh fruits and vegetables, and especially items that aren't necessarily, that have skins on them or are washed from that aspect of it. It was interesting to me also, I think, the, the aspect of a lot of the consumer research that we had done originally. And, and some of this, which is surprising me in, in two areas, is in 2005, when I first got heavily involved in the organic industry, we did in-store consumer uh, surveys just within our own marketing organization, which is Homegrown Organic Farms originally. And so we would send members of our team out and had a number of questions we asked. Our anticipation was because we were so into what we were doing with the organic industry, and it was about soil health and environmental health and all these things, that this would be what a lot of people would relate to. The top three were, we buy organics because it's safe for me and my family. We avoid pesticides and chemicals. We avoid antibiotics and hormones. That was our first three reasons. You know, and most of it, mothers, I buy it because it's good for my kids. All the other things that we were so grounded on in the industry didn't even register in their conversations. So in 2020, the Organic Trade Association and others did another survey. And those top three things came out still the top three things. But the two things that followed that was really where I think as the organic industry, we've made a tremendous step up. First was 32% of the people that buy organic say they do it because it's higher quality. 
And then the next one, 22% of people say, because it tastes better. And those are really two of our focuses originally, because when organic originated in the very early 2000s, it was viewed as blemished product. A lot of people, well, if it didn't look perfect, then it could be organic. But the reality that we saw as we started to grow the business of organics is that the retailers actually wanted product that was as good or better from a cosmetic standpoint and a soundness standpoint as conventional. Because without post-harvest fungicides or things of this sort on other crops, they knew they had to turn it faster. And so we actually, from an organic standpoint, paid more attention to a lot of these details in the handling of our fruit and the timing of turns and the coordination of that so that we would continue to try to get as fresh a product as we possibly could to the consumer consistently. And what's encouraging me with this data is you look at it, you know, a third of the people believe it's, it's higher quality. And you're seeing 22% say it tastes better. It means the consumer's being delighted in these areas. The other part that's interesting too, as we look at this and as we go forward, was some of the work that was done around viewpoints that, that have changed between 2020 and 2022 around sustainability, carbon footprint, environmental factors. All of those things, which originally for us in the organic industry were so critical, now have come back to the surface. And we're seeing a dramatic change in attitude around environmental concerns because of what's happening with climate change. And especially with what we're seeing in regards to, I think, the younger generation, the millennials, because they look at food purchases very differently than I'll call many of us baby boomers or maybe the silent generation as we look at it. And what we've seen between 2019 and 2021, consumers that buy because of sustainability factors for their purchases has increased from 22% to 26%. You go, well, that's not that much, but that's an 18% change in two years. There's a huge awareness factor. And the things that they look at that are most important today are the earth, the environment, me and my family, what it means to my country and community and workers. That's driving the changes in buying decisions. And when we look at the future organics, I think one of the reasons why this aspect is so important is that the percentage of consumers that will pay more to support companies that support these good causes has increased from 26% in 2019 to 36% in two years. And millennials are the leading portion of that. We're going to see a 5x change in wealth transfer by 2030 to millennials, which will be 30 to $68 trillion of wealth that's going to transfer. And this is how their buying habits are going to transfer. And this is what's important to them today. These are the things that need to be important to us as we continue to grow out the food industry as a whole and the blueberry industry as a whole, recognizing those are the important factors that we're looking at. So, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying Instead of it being so much about the consumer's self-interest, there is this, what was intentional about the origination of organics of the growers, the farmers, the people themselves thinking about this from an environmental standpoint, a farm standpoint. You're saying you're starting to see that show up in this data that you were surprised to see missing when you first saw the research. And today, those things are coming full circle into the conscious of the consumer because of the climate, the things that we're seeing in the environment today, the challenges that we face, all are 
starting to weigh in almost in, from maybe your perspective, finally, in the way that people are coming at a purchase decision. Absolutely. And it, it is interesting you, you, as we look at it from that perspective, the things that were so important to us in the beginning now are the things that are becoming much more highly recognized by the younger generation of consumers, which to me is very exciting because of where our focus has been. When I was in the floral industry, you know, I think that national organic standard conversation was just getting started. And this is like, I think that conversation has been going for like 10 years, Tom, of trying to figure out how to prepare for reorienting what the label now stands for. And it sounds like we're right at that place where this thing's finally going to move forward into an some level of enforcement or re, reorganization of the of the organic standard. So maybe you can talk and share, you know, what's happening there, and we can talk about what that's going to mean going forward. Yeah. So the original organic law that was supported uh, by USDA was approved in 2002, and that was work that actually began originally in the late 90s to really put a system in place so that we could regulate what the word organic meant and define it completely, it became a, a significant aspect of our food system because of the ability to regulate it and really put meaning behind it as we move forward and put very specific standards in place around that. As with any industry, as it continues to grow, it needs refinement. And there's been a number of areas of managing enforcement more effectively, getting clearer definitions by what is and isn't organic as far as what will fall under those categories. And the part that most people don't recognize is how do we create a better unification of standards worldwide? Because every country has different standards to some extent in that regard that we really want to continue to make it as consistent as we can between countries. And um, the irony of this is every time that you got a new ruling about one area in the US, either Canada or Europe would change it the next year to change, you know, change the playing field. So we're really looking for what that consistency would be in terms of an overall, and to really, I think, fortify in the consumer's minds what that USDA organic label means for its consistency. What was surprising is the work that's recently been done by OTA and bringing it before consumers is the lack of consumer understanding what it means. And when both the organic label from the USDA and the organic label from Europe were set forth before consumers, you had more consumers recognizing the European label with familiarity than they were the USDA label, which kind of is surprising in some aspects, but I think also is what needs to continue to have a greater consistency. Because as it is now, they've got independent certifiers that verify the organic certifications for growers, and it continues to enforce the level of certification and the key areas of that certification to make it as a consistent, meaningful certification within the industry as a whole. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. A picture is worth a thousand words. Everyone's heard that reference and we can all relate to it, whether we're conscious of the importance of visuals and how we consume content or not. Studies show our brains not only process visuals faster, but they retain and transmit much more information when it's delivered visually. Think about it. When you see a visual image, you can't help but engage with that subject matter. It's why your friends on social media who are good at articulating a message with an appealing photo will hold your attention and cause you to engage with their posts. 
It's also why smart marketers use photography and video that makes you stop as you scroll. Last week, USHBC held the photo shoot for our new food service innovations, and I was reminded just how much importance the visual aspect of our story holds. You can read a recipe or hear someone describe a mouthwatering food experience with words, but what really sells you to try something new? Seeing it before your eyes. Even if the smell and taste aren't present at that moment, you eat with your eyes first. As USHBC creates new ways to boost blueberries to our various audiences, we hold imagery at high regard. We use it to bring our blueberry innovations to life to inspire endless menu possibilities of this amazing fruit. We use it to tell the industry's story and engage consumers with the beautiful color, picturesque fields, and delicious food art that spotlights blueberries as the hero. All with the goal of inspiring our audience to grab a boost of blue. How do you use imagery to capture your audience's attention? Need some help? USHBC makes it easy. Follow us on social media at Blueberries for content ideas to bring the product to life. And feel free to share our content on your channels. If you want to create your own content, we can help there too. Just visit ushbc.org slash boostablue for loads of imagery and digital assets. Look around and notice just how important the visuals are in the things you pay attention to. It's how your customers best consume content too, because we are all visual beings. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now back to today's episode with Tom Avanellis. One thing that Alexis talked about that I wanted to get your take on is, you know, and we talked about this during our Tampa meeting, just the movement towards regenerative agriculture and what that represents. It still seems like this is something that's gaining a lot of momentum in conversations and circles of agriculture. And we talked about it in both our fall and spring meetings, but how do you split hairs on what this is representing? And and do you agree that, that there just isn't a clear definition of what regenerative agriculture represents? I'll say from our standpoint, for, for all the farming operations I'm involved with, our passion is build how we build regenerative systems. So really are focusing on the soil and on the environment as we do it. Uh, where we can become organically certified, uh, we take those steps. And when somebody purchases organic, uh, they are purchasing out of a regenerative system in terms by nature, how it's defined in agriculture. The difficulty with regenerative now, it's becoming a little bit of a buzzword similar to sustainability in some aspects. And we have numerous operations that are jumping up, trying to define it in a variety of ways that is just that certifying agency's definition of what that is. And I think we're at a point now that it's language and terminology that is varied. And it goes back to, I think, the challenge that we're facing, even with organic, where it's USDA certified, it's legally by the law regulated by USDA, and yet the consumer still doesn't fully know or understand what it is. So many of these other items, as they pop up, just add further confusion. And this is nothing new. You've had everything from sustainably certified to salmon safe to all different types of certifications in operational process. And pretty soon you're putting all these stickers on the clamshell or on a box and you look like a NASCAR 
And it means something to us that are doing it. But I think we lose the consumer if we're not careful. And I think that's where the challenge becomes in this until it gets clearly defined. I do think that when we look at agriculture as a whole, the entire industry is really looking at more regenerative practices because we've seen what happens when you don't. Because basically, if you strip everything out of the land and don't put anything back, you don't have anything that produces. And so we realize that the balance of what we put back so it becomes bountiful for the long term, for our children, our grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren, as we begin to look more focused forward. And this, to me, is both, I think, of our personal passion for the blueberry industry, but especially with where we're at in the organic blueberry industry. Well, maybe we can bring this, you know, even closer to home with USHBC and, and organic and blueberry from your perspective, you know, are we doing a good job from your perspective, someone who's so deeply invested and how do you come to the table at USHBC recognizing how much of your crop is represented in organic? And then, you know, we don't have necessarily a specific organic call out or program marketing organic blueberries as USHBC. But yet you continue to come to the table, represent your interest and want to see the industry continue to grow and succeed. So what's that mean for you? How does this break in your mind on what is your hard work, extra effort, you know, the cost of producing organics and then coming to this common table that is USHBC and representing blueberries in the marketplace as a whole? I think it's the evolution that's taking place in the industry as a whole. If you took 2005, when organic was just beginning to grow in the United States, it was an us versus them mentality. We're saying what we're doing is good and what you're doing is not good. And it's evolved to realize that we are collaboratively working together for the advancements of the products that we grow. And our passion is for blueberries as a whole. Our decisions around organic is following what our passion is. But the industry represents all of us. And I think this is a key element of UHHBC. Uh, especially I've seen it grow over the last five years. But as a whole, uh, USHBC does a wonderful job in representing all the blueberry industry, all the blueberry growers, including the organic blueberry growers, as we put forth platforms of awareness to grow consumer demand, to uh, continue to build the opportunities, to report with information and data that's critical for us as marketers. And to draw us together and recognizing we really are all on the same team of what we're seeking to accomplish in order to grow and expand the healthiest fruit in the world, which are blueberries, to more households and more families and more children in the U.S. and the world. This is how we're successful in the long term is through that aspect of consumption. And this is where we collaborative have to continue to grow and build, whether our decisions are to follow a organic platform or a regenerative conditional platform or however we are farming within our regions, we are collaboratively on the same page together in this, both as small and large farmers in a means of how we create product to help delight the consumers each time that we put a, a blueberry on the shelf. Well, I know I speak for a lot of people who appreciate how you come to the table with that kind of collaborative spirit. And I, I think it takes that in leadership to recognize, you know, that it's not that us versus them approach that gets us where we need to go uh, in that big picture of, of trying to drive demand. And so I appreciate this insight. Uh, you know, I really did want to spend some time following up from the Seattle conference on what that 
conference conversation was about with you today. And, you know, is there anything we didn't cover? Is there anything else that you'd like to make sure we, we talk about before I let you go? I just think that the biggest challenge we have before us is the reality of hardships for the farmer today. We're still in a, in a business that supply and demand drives costs way too much, unfortunately, uh, where we have tremendous rising cost of inputs, rising cost of labor, challenges with water and drought in all of our regions. And we need to recognize that both the retailers and the consumers need to pay more so that we can survive in this business. As we actively put innovation and uh, resources behind chemistry and science and different practices into place to make us more competitive, we still are in a, in a landscape that we have inflation is really hurting us. And uh, we, we need to really more collaborative than ever work together for the benefit of each other in this process and the benefit of the consumer. Because getting quality, healthy food to the consumer that's tremendously important as far as long-term health for this world and for this country. Well, I always appreciate the opportunity to sit down with Tom and, and just hear his thoughts on, on the industry and specifically his sense of how the organic industry is going. And, and a few of my key takeaways, I would just say is, you know, just the huge scale up that we've seen in organics. Well, it still maybe represents less than 1% of the acreage, it still shows itself to be very uh, demand heavy and driven by consumers. So uh, what I liked about our conversation today was he cast a vision for what that runway really looks like when you look at the next generation of purchasing and the power of that investment going into uh, that purchasing power for consumers and the millennials. It really does show how much runway is yet ahead for blueberries, in this case, specifically for organics. But I also always appreciate how Tom looks at organic and conventional goals as being the same. And you kind of heard him say there at the end where you know he sees the opportunity to bring blueberries and that experience of delight for consumers, not just here in the United States, but a, a global vision for how blueberries still have a, a big future ahead in getting into the hands of more and more consumers, organic or conventional. And an important note to recognize too, that you know whether it's organic or conventional, but the point he was making about the high cost that's involved with organic, we have challenges ahead in what growers are facing and what we're going to need in order to achieve our goal of understanding what growers are going through, what our industry really is about, the backbone of those family farms uh, representing our interests in putting this amazing fruit in front of people, but the challenge that exists in doing so. So always a good conversation with Tom, uh, wide ranging, but also uh, very poignant and very relevant to what's happening with the organic standard changing now going into this new farm bill. So we'll have to have him back as this uh, continues. And of course, more conversations around how the market's moving, uh, a great discussion nonetheless. So that's it for episode 94. Just a quick note of acknowledging our nomination process underway here at USHBC with a new strategic plan, vision, mission. Now it's an exciting time for you to consider getting involved. Uh, we've had a lot of great leaders over the years and uh, the nomination period represents an opportunity. So if you've thought about getting involved with USHBC, uh, we'll leave a link in the show notes where you can learn more about the elections process, the nominations process, and how you might want to get involved today with how you can help 
drive our vision forward at USHBC to make blueberries the world's favorite fruit. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.